Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Crossing Nation, how are you guys doing today? You guys doing good? It is so good to be with each and every single one of you. I look forward to our time that we have every single week. For those of you who are joining in our different states, so for those of you here in uh, Illinois, those of you in Missouri, those in Iowa, we want to welcome you. To those of you watching online, we're thankful for you as well. Uh, Real quick, personal favor, uh, if you would, in your little prayer time, whether you're doing it when you're you know, driving to work or on your way home from work or before you go to bed or before you get out of bed, whenever you do your little uh, prayer time, oh, would you just put the crossing inside uh, on that prayer list? Um, <clears throat> as we've been going through 2020, uh, some of you, uh, we, you, we had to experience uh, not being able to meet together for a period of time. And I don't know how that affected you uh, personally, but I know that it affected me in profound ways because um, God uses the gathering of his people to strengthen us. That was always his plan. And uh, since uh, COVID happened and shutdowns started to happen, the crossing inside, which uh, they're a part of us, uh, they, uh, they go to church like you go to church, they sing like you sing, they listen to the sermons, probably a little bit better than you listen to the sermons, to be honest with you. Uh, they take notes um, when Jerry's preaching. I don't expect people to take notes when I preach. And uh, they give like you give. They take communion like you take communion. But they have not been able to meet, period. And I know, I know, I know, I know the world you're living in right now is a tough one. You know, I, I get that. Um, I'm guessing theirs is tougher. Um, I'm guessing they made different decisions than you made, so I get why it's a little bit tougher. But um, if you could think of a place that could use an awful lot of hope and an awful lot of encouragement, living out your faith in jail would probably be one of those places. And um, while we're enjoying the opportunity to gather, uh, they haven't yet, for good reason. We don't want it spreading all over the jail or the prison and all that stuff. But would you guys just be praying that God opens up a door that something happens soon because um, I want us to be I want us to be in this with them. I want them to be able to make a difference uh, in their cell block. And uh, we don't have a small amount of people that are part of our inside ministry. There's a, a bunch of them. And uh, I get to hear their stories. I get to read what God's doing in their lives and I just hurt for them. I'm sure uh, you guys hurt for them as well. And so I just wanted to have them on the list. That being said, let's get into the sermon. Uh, one of the most fatiguing things I think about being a parent, and listen, I'm a bad parent, is um, how unbelievably forgetful kids are, right? I feel like that is half of parenting. It's just, what did I just tell you? I, I, either, either in my office or in my house, I have an office. Um, and I tell my kids, this is not a toy room. This is where daddy, this is where daddy works. Stay out. And I'll come in and my son will have important papers and he'll be cutting shapes into them. And I'll be like, Maddox, what are you doing in here? Sorry, dad. I forgot. I get out in the morning, Maddox is wearing socks and underwear, walking around in the front yard. I'm like, Maddox, oh, sorry, Dad. I forgot. I'm so, I, what are you doing? The other day, I'm taking them to school, and uh, they're supposed to take you know, their books and stuff. We get to school. They don't have it. They just carried a backpack that was empty <laughs> to school. And they're like, hey, Dad, I, uh, I didn't bring any of the stuff I need for school today. What? I'm sorry, Dad. I uh, I forgot. And and those of us who are parents know, 
we hate this, right? <laughs> and then, to be honest with you, then sometimes we recognize this in ourselves. How many of you, uh, you know somebody? Don't, listen, you know somebody. Who's forgotten an anniversary? Oh yeah, those losers, right? Yeah, uh, they've forgotten a spouse's birthday. Yeah, I, I preached this on Thursday. Kid you not, Friday, I forgot that I was um, the person who was supposed to be leading a wedding rehearsal. I get a phone call. I'm at a stoplight getting ready to take my kids to an apple orchard. They're like, Clayton, you up. You're about 30 minutes late. You still coming to the uh, rehearsal? Yep, I still am. I'm about 30 minutes out, <laughs> okay? We forget stuff. It's just human nature. And Peter writes to this group of young Christians to remind them. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my, does this sound motherly? Second letter to you. I've already told you once, okay? I have written both. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter writes to these early young believers to remind them. He's reminding them of the upper story because we have a tendency of forgetting what God is doing at altitude. And this reminder is designed to change their thinking because what you think about ends up impacting our behavior. Our actions begin in our minds. Jerry talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is the first and greatest battlefield we face. We have a brain battle, a conflict in the cranium, a struggle in the skull every single day. And what we see with our eyes and what we hear with our ears makes its way into our minds and then it seeps into our hearts and our mouths and makes its way into our actions. Sometimes when I'm brushing my teeth, I, well, hold on, let me rephrase that. I brush my teeth all the time, every day, multiple times a day. I'll scrub the white right off of them. I think it's important to brush regularly. But uh, in the mornings when I brush, I don't know if it's the kind of toothpaste I use, but I often find myself thinking of Casey's breakfast pizza. And it's just what happens, okay? And it's, if I think about it for more than, you know, a couple, like both sides, I'm like, I think I'm getting it today. I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting two. And uh, it happened today, to be honest with you. I did it uh, on the way here. Uh, I'll go in to Casey's and I'll get the bacon, egg, and cheese uh, pizza. And if you haven't had that, uh, maybe you'll be in heaven. I, um, I, can't, I can't verify this. So, uh, and I am such an impatient person. Uh, people who know me know this is a huge scenario in my life, but for a bacon, egg, and cheese pizza from Casey's, if I go in there and they don't have it ready for me, I'll say, how long until you can make a brand new one? It'd be like six to 10 minutes. I go, I'll be back. And I go and I sit in my car, set the timer. And then I walk in and usually if I time it just right, they'll be bringing it out of the oven and they'll be taking it to the little circle thing. And then they'll do this, they'll pivot it towards me and they'll give me like the choice. And I always pick the two biggest ones. That's why, you, listen kids, this is why you pay attention in geometry so you know if they make one bad cut, that one and the adjacent one is the one you want, right? 
Okay, uh, it happens in other areas of my life too. Uh, I was watching this show and there was this advertisement for lights that you can put in your garage. And uh, later that night, I bought uh, three of them. And for an extra couple dollars, I was able to get the motion activated ones. And so <laughs> I, I had three light bulbs in my garage that were, you could almost see a vehicle when you had all three of them on. And I exchanged those out for three 8,000 a piece lumen um, lights. And so, and they're motion activated. And uh, the way they are in my house, they actually, one of the motion activators, I guess uh, we found out, shines through uh, the window that leads into my garage. So when I am walking to the pantry, uh, a light comes on in my garage that looks like an angel of the Lord is appearing. And so like, I'm getting ready to get some Fruit Loops and like, oh, yes, yes, Lord. Uh, first 10% of these Fruit Loops belong to you. I know, I know, but the other 90, I want the nine. Yeah, it's, and my neighbors have got to be dealing with this on some level because I mean, anything moves in my garage, it's poof. And you could do open heart surgery in my garage right now. What you think about ends up, you've all been there. Some of you guys have the perfect push-ups at your house. You have something that you're like, once you start thinking about it, it becomes how you behave. And as we consider all the problems that we're facing and all the challenges that we have to navigate, Peter's saying, we need to be reminded, the Holy Spirit is trying to remind us that in light of everything that's going on, we have everything we need to confront it. In light of everything that's going on, all the challenges that we face, we have all that we need at our disposal. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us, everybody at all of our locations, help me out with that word, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We are not undersupplied people. We have everything we need. We have a, let me say it uh, simpler, we have a tool for every trouble. For every trouble you encounter, you have a tool. Jennifer and I are in the process of fixing uh, our upstairs because um, it appears that our house was built by um, blind people. And uh, I, they didn't even glue the fittings in our upstairs bathroom. So when you shower upstairs, Jennifer and I could also take a shower downstairs. And so we've, we've had uh, new flooring, new trim, new, new, it's been bad, okay? And in the middle of all that, I find like all of my free time is me driving to Home Depot. Like that's just what I do for fun now. That is my life. And uh, I'll get partway into a project, you guys have been there, and I'll realize that I don't have the tool that I need to fix it. And so then you're like, and then you go to Home Depot, then you drive back, so you're, that's like a half an hour, plus you look at other tools while you're there, and that's another fit. So then like now, what was supposed to be a five minute project, I'm now an hour into it and I haven't even got anything done. Sometimes I get into the project, and I realize I have the tool, but the tool's downstairs in my garage, and it's not on me. And how many of you just, you don't have to say anything because I don't want you to get in trouble with your wife. You'll just use whatever you have in your tool belt, instead of the tool you need. Like, a, a, yeah, I see I saw someone just got saved. Uh, I've, I've used a DeWalt battery as a hammer. I'm not afraid, you know? That's not gonna be that bad. Yeah, and the problem is, is uh, here's what, I re what God's saying. He has placed a spiritual Home Depot in your garage. 
that you have all of you need, all that you need. And we have to go a step further. We actually need to put that, all those tools in our tool belt. And I tend to go to all the wrong places when I come into a problem. I wonder if you do that too. Use all the wrong tools. I, I might go to Facebook when I have a problem. I, I might go to a book when I have a problem. I might go to an audio book or a podcast. I, I might go to the pantry when I have a problem. I might go to the fridge when I have a problem. And God's saying, would you stop using the tools of this world and would you use the tools that I've placed at your disposal? This is what he's saying. Uh, if you're struggling with anxiety and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a tool. It's this cast off tool. Because the Bible says cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. You don't have to carry your anxiety, you can use the tool to cast it off. When you face challenges in your family, did you know that you have the tool of godly wisdom at your disposal? It's there for you. You can grab a hold of it anytime you want to. When you deal with fear, just so you know this, God gives you the tool of faith. When you have to deal with doubt, God can give you the tool of assurance. When you struggle with heartache, God can give you the gift and the tool of healing. When you struggle with hate, God can pour out his love. When you are struggling with being in a hurry and running through life and not paying attention to the things that God wants you to pay attention to, God can give you patience. He has given you a tool for every trouble. He has placed in you, given you access to a tool for every trial that you face, but that's not all that he's done. He's done even more. Check it out. Second Peter chapter one, verse four. Through these, the tools we just talked about, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You and I, we don't just have a tool for every trouble. We don't just have a tool for every trial. We have a promise for every problem. That, and these promises are not small and empty promises. These promises flow from the lips of God himself who spoke this world into existence. We have heavenly promises with heavenly power. When my identity is attacked by the world, when my finances, my relationship status, and my weight, or my occupation, or my lack thereof it, or tried to, people try to measure me by it, I've been promised that I'm a child of God, and no one can steal that citizenship from me. When my purpose is attacked, when I feel unfit and unqualified, I've been promised that I have resurrection power, and that promise isn't just for me, that promise is for for you too, when it feels like I'm losing, when I feel like I'm not measuring up, I've been promised that this world is not all that there is, that there's something better coming. When my name isn't on buildings, when they're not roads and brown signs with my name on it, when there's not streets or highways named after me and I wonder if I'll ever be forgotten, I've been promised that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. My name is written down in heaven and if you're in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your name is too and no one can ever erase it. Uh, it goes on, when, it's, when I feel like I'm alone, when I feel abandoned, when I find myself cut off and isolated, I've been promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. When my sins and failures are on full display, when my past is used to shame me, convict me, humiliate me, I've been promised that there is no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. I have heavenly promises. When the task seems too big, when my strength is not enough, when the challenge seems too difficult, when the world does everything in its power to point to my insufficiency and my weakness, it's in those moments that I'm reminded in my weakness, he makes me strong. And my bones become brittle when my skin begins to loosen, when my eyes begin to haze, and there are more sunsets than sunrises in my future. It is in these moments that I'm reminded that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he's with me. You and I, at all of our locations, I know that right now it is tough to be alive and navigate the things that we're navigating, but we have heavenly promises, things that we can cling to in the middle of storms. We have the tools we need to navigate the challenges. And Peter reminds us we don't just have tools for every trial and we don't just have promises for every problem, but you and I, we have, you and I, we have a part to play. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse five and seven. For this very reason, everything we just talked about, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. In light of all these gifts from God, we are called to do our part. This is not about you earning your salvation, but you responding to your salvation. This is not about you establishing a relationship with Jesus, but responding to your relationship with Jesus. Jennifer and I, we got married. When we got married, we shared our vows to one another and we committed ourselves to each other. But just so you know, I don't have to do anything to earn them. And neither does she. They were a gift that she gave to me and a gift that I gave to her. However, I can increase the quality of my marriage, the intimacy in my marriage, the joy in my marriage, the happiness in my marriage, and the effectiveness of my marriage by doing my part. And the same is true in our relationship with God, that I'm not gonna earn my salvation, and I don't have to do, it, I don't have to do a whole lot to get him to love me, he's already loved me, but when I do the things that God calls me to do, I get to experience greater closeness, greater dependence, and ultimately, greater impact. What would you say to a husband or wife who chose just to rest on the vows? Well, she said she loved me, so. And all they end up giving their spouse is the poor, the sickness, and the sorrow. And they never love them enough to work hard to give them the richer, the health, and the joy. You and I, we have a part to play in God's grand design. And this part that he wants us to play calls you and me to being productive. Second Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. When you and I, when we do our part, it keeps us from being ineffective. And where does this ineffectiveness start? It starts in our minds. We become nearsighted and blind. It causes us to forget our position in Christ. 
And this mindset makes its way into our behavior. You will not be on mission for Christ if you forget who you are in Christ. You won't make a difference for the kingdom of God when you forget your standing in the kingdom of God. And right now, all of our locations, come here. Right now, our world, I think, could use some Christians who are faithful and good and knowledgeable, self-controlled, dear God, self-controlled, have perseverance and are loving. Wouldn't you agree? But listen, we have to do our part. And when we do it, there's a benefit. It keeps us on the right path. This is what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we do these things, because they keep us on the right path, they keep you from stumbling. Chances are, in your relationship with God, you've got a lot of self-inflicted wounds. You just made some bonehead mistakes. He's saying when we do these things, it keeps us from stumbling and it maximizes our blessing and reward in heaven. Now, when I read that, some of you uh, at our different locations, you saw two words in there and you kind of maybe got hung up. The words calling and election. Uh, I'm gonna take just like four minutes and I just wanna kind of unpack this uh, so I can at least help you navigate because as you guys are reading through your word, I want you to be able to navigate this. Um, there is a, a theology, I'm gonna lump it into a big term called Calvinism. And when a Calvinist reads words like calling and election, it sends off different alarm bells than maybe uh, some of you have, but you're trying to figure out how do I navigate words like calling and election? Well, Calvinism, um, it's, it, there, you know, there's lots of great preachers, lots of people that I enjoy listening to um, who ascribe to Calvinism. And what Calvinism teaches is that, um, easiest way to say it is they use the acronym TULIP, uh, T-U-L-I-P. And for each one of those, they have like a systematic statement. So just kind of go on this journey with me. We're going to, you know, go down a little uh, theological road trip. So uh, when they say uh, T, total depravity, what they're saying is, is we are incapable of doing anything good. Choosing Jesus would be a good thing. And since we are incapable of doing anything good, we cannot choose God. That's T, total depravity. U, unconditional election. Because we're incapable of doing anything good, um, God, before the creation of the world, predestined a certain group of people uh, called the elect to be his people. Thus, in God's sovereignty, he chooses some, uh, to save some people, and he made other people for destruction. Uh, L, limited atonement. Since men are incapable of doing anything good, and since God chose some people to save and other people for, uh, he chose not to save, his death on the cross was only for those he was going to save. So Jesus' salvation was like, you going, or hey, let's take everybody to dinner, but only four people show up, so you're paying not for everybody, you're just paying for the four people that you actually took to dinner. Uh, it was not for all mankind, his death, it was only for the elect. Uh, I, irresistible grace. Since we cannot do anything good, and since he chose some people uh, to save, and his death was only for some people, when God makes up his mind that you are going to be his, <clears throat> there's nothing you can do to stop it. His grace is irresistible. You cannot resist God's grace when he decides that he is going to save you. And then P, perseverance of the saints, tulip. 
because you cannot do anything good and because uh, you were chosen and because you were selectively slave, saved and he is irresistible, there is nothing you can do to lose your place in him. His, uh, this theology makes those of you who believe that you're part of the elect feel an awful lot of uh, joy and hope because you can never be lost, never, uh, you know, never lose your salvation. You're in him, he chose you, you had nothing to do with it and you get to enjoy it. And the crossing's a big tent and there are, uh, you know, there are people who uh, have that, that and you, that's just kind of how you operate. And when you see words like calling and election, um, that's what those words bring up to you and predestined. Uh, what I wanna do is I wanna give you a, a different view. And this is uh, the view that I, like, I hold a little bit uh, closer to, is that, um, while there are good, uh, thoughtful people who believe that, um, when they're worshiping God, they're worshiping God at an expense of worshiping a God who's not for everybody. And I believe that God in his sovereignty gave you and I free will and that you and I have a part to play and we have the ability to choose good and we have the ability to choose evil. And I believe that God is for everybody that for God so loved the, not the few, not the chosen, but for God so loved the cosmos, the world, that whoever believes in him, whoever, will not perish but have eternal life. I believe that when God says the world, he means the world, and when he says whoever, he means whoever, and when he says everyone, he means everyone, and when he says anyone, he means anyone. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, it was an all-sufficient payment for all people for all of time. That there's not a person you are gonna bump into that Jesus didn't die for and that God doesn't love. And I wouldn't dare limit the beauty of his sacrifice or impugn the magnificence of his character to say anything less about what he did for me. I believe that while God's grace is glorious and mesmerizing, we know that from the beginning of time, people have been turning their backs on God's grace. You know how I know it? Because I've done it. You've done it. In the parable of the prodigal son, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, it was the son who walked away from all that the father had. And when the son came back to his senses, in the mind, the father came running. It's the only time in scripture where we, it pictures God running. And he's running to meet a repentant son. He throws a party celebrating his return. But you don't mourn when a child leaves if they were predestined to do so. You don't come running with excitement when they're coming back at the predetermined time. You don't celebrate an event that you manipulated in the first place. The Bible says, God says, that heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. Every time you see someone getting out of the baptistry, the celebration that's happening at your location is simply you joining a heavenly celebration. It's true. God will never let you go. He will never drop you out of his hand. However, he loves you enough to allow you to walk out on your own. Sometimes uh, Calvinism, when it talks about it, uses this illustration of imagine you are in your front yard playing with your kids or your kid, let's just pick one kid. And uh, your kid starts to go to play in the street and you see oncoming traffic. And this is the picture that you, in your sovereignty, you go out and you grab your child against their free will and you pull them out of danger. 
You're not asking questions like, hey, do you want this? You just know it is in their best interest and you pull them out. And that that is what election, that God is saying this is what's happening. But that illustration, in my opinion, is a little incomplete because a better picture is that you are in your front yard and you have both of your kids in the front yard and both of them are in danger and both of them have oncoming traffic and you go out there with two hands and you only choose to rescue one. Isaiah says, is God's arm too short to save? That I believe when God looks down at you and me, he is doing everything in his power to save all of us. And all of us have a responsibility to respond. So then how, what's the other way you deal with these calling and election passages when you see them in scripture? I know some of you guys are like, oh, whoa, what's up with the waiters? But just stay with me. Keep, keep, stay in the deep water for just a second. I believe that God predestined and predetermined the person and the process. Here's what I mean by that. He elected that Jesus would come to redeem and restore the world through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he also predestined how I would come to him through faith and by grace. Imagine me giving you all directions to my dad's house. And I would say you go over the bridge, take a left, go over the bridge and take a right, go up the hill past the black gates. Now, if you are trying to get to my parents' house, that is the only way to get to my parents' house. I know that road, I built that road, I maintained that road. And the only way to get to my parents, you can do whatever you want your entire life, but if you're wanting to get to my dad's house, that is how you go. I think my dad right now is wondering if I'm gonna give more specific directions. So this might be a good time to renegotiate inheritance, right? Here's what, do you remember when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? It's like me saying all of my friends come through the front door and all of my enemies come through the window. I've predetermined, I've predestined how friends behave in my presence. They come through the front door. They get shot at the window, right? If someone's trying to come in that way, you know something is not right. So when it says to confirm your calling and your election, what it's saying is, is you need to live up to your vows. When you put on the team jersey, you need to act like a team member. When you call yourself a Christian, you should behave like a Christian. That you should think like one and act like one. That people should get a pretty good understanding about who Jesus is by how you behave. And some of you, you've been living out your faith for a really long time. You've been living out your faith in the midst of unbelievable challenges, and there's this part of you that's just going, when are you gonna come back? Sometimes I'll see on Twitter, somebody will show something and then they'll say, oh, come Lord Jesus. You know, Republican Christians, when a Democrat gets elected, they're like, oh, come Lord Jesus. When Democrat Christians see a Republican get uh, elected, they're like, oh, come Lord Jesus. When my wife wants to talk about her day, I'm like, oh, come Lord Jesus. Like sometimes you're just, you're just like, how do I, right? You've, we've all been there. Check this out. This is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8. If you're in this spot, I want you to pay attention to this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Check this out. The Lord is 
is not, say this, slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting, everybody say that word, anyone to perish, but say this word, everyone to come to repentance. God's timetable is not your timetable. And I don't like that about him. I can love him and not like his timetable. In some ways, it feels like he's coming quick. And in other ways, it feels like he seems slow. And from our perspective, more often than not, it just feels slow. Have you ever noticed that the bills seem to show up at your house quick, but the things that you want to come to your house come slow? It's just how it is. And there's this part of me that wants God to come and put an end to this misery and an end to this pain and an end to this hurt and an end to this heartache. And there's this part of me that wants him to come back and make all things new. And in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna talk about what that looks like. So why does he wait? Why does he tarry so long? He tells us. Because he doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to repent. What would be a great day for many of us would be a horrible day for others. He's slow because he wants everyone to have a chance to know him and to meet him. Here's what that means. Every time we repent, every time we see somebody getting baptized, every time we talk to somebody about Jesus, every time we pray for somebody, invite someone, serve someone, love someone, heaven gets a little bit closer. So while you wait for his return, remember that you have the tools for every trouble you face. You have a promise for every problem and God has given you a part to play and as you play your part, your production matters. So what are you gonna do at all of our different locations while you wait on God's return? We're gonna take the tools that he's given us and make a difference with them. We're gonna cling to the promises that he's made over us and we're gonna hold on to them. And we're gonna do our part because we believe that God has placed us at this moment in time to make a difference for him and to bring heaven a little bit closer. Would you guys join me in that as we move to this time, a decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.